0: The following episode contains content on sexual violence that some listeners may find disturbing. Discretion is advised. Please note that the contents of Model Mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Model Mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are a human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about Model Mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only. And please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. Hi, this is Dr. Ali Sharma. I'll be your host for today. Bridget is working on some exciting new projects at the moment. Today on the podcast, I have with me Kai Braden. Kai is an actor, model, and a San Francisco native based in New York City and Los Angeles. As an actor, some of Kai's roles include TV shows such as Orange is the New Black, Revenge, 90210, and General Hospital. Also, national commercials for Crocs, Nivea, Toyota, and Dunkin' Donuts, and international music videos for Katy Perry, Tata Young, and Ame. As a model with Wilhelmina as his first agency, Kai also has representation worldwide. His career has taken him around the globe to work with such clients as Men's Health Magazine, J. Crew, Cosmopolitan, Nike, Seven for All Mankind, Lululemon, and more. As a highly certified and versatile fitness coach, Kai teaches on-demand classes for multiple virtual platforms. His coaching experience includes CrossFit and Orange Theory with a foundation in Olympic Taekwondo. Kai's action training complements his work in entertainment. He also has a television production degree from Pepperdine University and serves on the leadership council of the labor rights nonprofit, The Model Alliance. Hi, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I'm really excited for the conversation today.
1: Thank you for having me, Dr. Sharma. I have heard so much about model mentality and you have some heavy hitters on your podcast already. So I just feel honored to be in this community and this platform.
0: Uh, No, we, we are as well. So let's start because what I'd like to actually ask all of our guests first, you know, this is a podcast about mental health how you experience things psychologically. So what about coming onto the podcast was appealing to you?
1: I think mental health is overlooked. And I am, while I am an actor and model, I also work in fitness and physical health is so important to me. I, I come from a family full of uh, doctors and Uh, people who work in the medical field and I preach to them that fitness is preventative medicine and I feel the same way about mental health I think that every day it's important to spend time and energy into your health um, whether it be fitness or mental health and it's something that um, should not be overlooked
0: you're preaching to the choir. So yeah, mental fitness. And I think, you know, in one of our episodes preceding this one, someone said that, you know, people put so much energy into physical health or physical fitness. What if we all put the same energy into mental health? The world would look very different, I think. I mean, I'm biased, but that's... No,
1: I agree as well. I think we would all be a lot calmer and happier as a community.
0: Exactly. What I'd love to start with is Just a little bit about your background, you know, where you grew up, and then when you started modeling and acting. So take us back to I know it was the West Coast, San Francisco.
1: Sure. Yeah. So uh, my name is Kai Braden. I grew up in San Francisco, California, in the city. So I'm a true city boy at heart. My uh, mom is Chinese, and my dad is German, and we have some other. Uh, Smaller ethnic origins mixed in as well, but that is what I am ethnically uh, primarily, Um, but I very much so um, grew up in an American culture and uh, lived in San Francisco up till I was 18 I. Signed a modeling contract with a modeling agency called Wilhelmina Models when I was 18. Um, Totally went opposite of what my fellow classmates did. I did not go to college right away. I went to New York City at 18 years old by myself to try out modeling. Um, I wanted to act as well, so I figured that would be a, a great place to start um spent a year and a half in New York City and then decided I wanted to go back to school so I decided to take a theater and film scholarship at Pepperdine University in Malibu California just outside of LA and graduated uh with a tv production degree actually and a minor in Spanish um did a whole uh, circuit in Asia for modeling cumulatively for two years lived in Bangkok Singapore Hong Kong And uh, been back and forth between L.A. and New York ever since.
0: Oh, wow. So, and you're doing both, modeling and acting. So is there one that you prefer more?
1: I dream of telling a story using my body and voice um, for the greater good. And I believe I can do that through acting. I love the heart-throbbing drama that Resonates with people. I think that if we can use art and creativity to connect with the world, it's a beautiful thing. And I feel like I have a greater purpose that way.
0: Mm, And you know, I've always wondered I mean, I used to act when I was in middle school a long time ago, and then I didn't continue it. But I, you know, for you, what does acting do for you personally? You know, when you're whether it's on a stage or film or TV. Um, What is it about it that resonates with you outside of the communication, the expression piece that you just mentioned?
1: I think that um, and, and I know other actors that describes describe themselves in this light, but I truly believe I was born as an empath and I feel that I can connect with people and in a way acting is that platform or that medium for me to connect with people and express how I feel and, and, and grow um, in relationships. Cause I feel like what life is about is just connection. It's human connection. That's what we thrive off of. And that's what empowers us to grow and continue living on this earth. And so I think acting, you know, gives me that opportunity.
0: Okay. And tell me both with acting and modeling before we get into the psychological side, you know, what are the things to date that you're the most proud of that you've done?
1: Um, it's funny because this date, this, this list is updated constantly. Um, but <laughs> I had some great jobs consecutively with Men's Health magazine growing up um, and always being into sports and ath- athletics. I idolized Men's Health Magazine, um, and the fact that I've done four jobs with that magazine is just, I feel so grateful and lucky. Um, and um, I have really got connected with the whole editorial team as well, so they've been really supportive in my modeling career and my fitness career. In terms of acting, um, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, this speaking role on Orange is the New Black. Um, it, is a show on Netflix, ran for seven seasons. I was in the last season, the seventh season. I played a recovered narcotics anonymous uh, meeting uh, guest speaker. So I um, got to really embody and, and envision what it would be like to uh, be 10 years recovered from um, oxycodone, uh, which is, not something I have experienced in, in my personal life, um, but this was truly a role that required me to understand and learn somebody else's life. So I got to go to a real Narcotics Anonymous meeting and meet people that were sharing their story and, and join them on their journey to recovery. And I felt so lucky and special to learn and grow in that light.
0: You know, I want to turn back to your identity and your background. Um, I know we when we first spoke, you know, we talked about you have, a let's say, a hybrid of ethnicities, um, race, you know, within your family. Um, and what did you feel your identity was when you were growing up? And I asked that before. I'm going to ask you, like, how have you been perceived through your career?
1: I identify as mixed more than anything else. Um, I think growing up in the 90s in San Francisco, it was clear that at least in my humble two cents experience that I was not Asian enough to hang out with the Asian kids. I didn't speak Chinese fluently and I just wasn't raised the same way. Um, But I definitely wasn't white and the kids let me know that. So naturally I just gravitated towards the Latin kids and the black kids. I just felt more connected. I felt I I didn't what was apparent was I I wasn't Asian enough and I wasn't white enough. And so um, I just connected (laughs) with the Latin kids and the black kids. And um, funny enough, I, you know, growing up in San Francisco, being around so many Hispanic uh, community members and also minoring my uh, having a minor in Spanish and just studying Spanish all my life. I speak fluent Spanish. And so it's just, um, it's funny to, I'll make a joke, you know, like I identify with Latin culture more as well because of, of that experience and that connection.
0: Yeah. Look, and I think that is such an important thing to highlight. You know, there's a lot of people of mixed race who are hybrid, who don't, like you're saying, don't belong to one nor the other, but are somewhere in between. So in a way that's a subculture, but you know, culture can mean so many things. It not it's not necessarily the ethnicity that you come from, right? It is something that you can create, or the crowd that you run with, or the feeling you have inside of you, and and what you're drawn to, right? It's it's much more complicated than just race, race and ethnicity, and I don't think we can make any assumptions. So, so can I ask you though, in all of that, because you you mentioned like you were told that you're not white enough, or you were told that you're not Asian enough, did any of this cause like distress or do you remember way back when you know psychologically how it affected you growing up?
1: Absolutely. I think that you know it I mean it's hard enough being a kid because we're just finding out what we like and what you know, our preferences and anything from food to hobbies. And so having to also figure out like what ethnicity am I going to choose today? Am I going to be more Asian or am I going to be more white? Um, You know, I think my family didn't give me the option because we would always have to celebrate Chinese New Year's every year anyway. And so I definitely felt more connected to my Chinese side then. Um, But of course, when I, you know, visited my dad's side of the family, my dad's uh, grew my dad grew up in Ohio, he's, he's German, um, ethnically. And so that was, you know, clear as well. So I was the Asian kid on my dad's side of the family, but then on my mom's side of the family, you know, I'm still learning the Chinese tradition so um, I think my family chose that direction when I wasn't in school but then when I was in school my friends chose what I was and so if anything I guess silver linings would be I'm very uh, adaptable or adaptive because I can uh, I feel like I can blend in with a lot of different cultures
0: and then when you started modeling and acting you know what surprised you the most about how you were perceived based on what you look like
1: I'm surprised in, in the fact that it's all really subjective. Uh, whoever's casting, what they see is what I am un, for, like fortunately and unfortunately. I've learned to really disconnect um, on a personal level from how I am perceived off camera and in essence I kind of embrace it. I I think it is a blessing and it's fun just like I was mentioning before like being able to you know, play different characters or, you know, I I just feel like I look at it as an advantage. Um, I get to connect to multiple cultures instead of being limited to one. And um, there's this joke, running joke, I've always heard through the nearly two decades of experience in this industry is that you are what people think you are. And so if you're going to pay me to be one thing or fill this role, then, you know, I'll do it. Um, given that you know i find it to be a respectable role of course um but yeah it's interesting to see 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 it in that light
0: yeah and you taught me a new word when we spoke before this <laughs> the word ethnically or the the phrase ethically ambiguous
1: yeah it no it's little, yeah it's <laughs> a common term in entertainment so a lot of times you know and especially with it being the year 2021 and you know being it's important to be politically correct and we have you know our whole cancel culture uh, coming at you you know i think casting directors and networks are being a little bit more careful on how they phrase things um but oftentimes i'll see ethnically ambiguous under the breakdown a breakdown means the character description or what they're looking for and so i'll get you know 20s to 30s, ethnically ambiguous, athletic, but guy next door, approachable, but cute or whatever. I'm just making up uh, (laughs) a breakdown right now, but it's just funny. It's like that it's a normal term now, you know, and they're not sure what they're looking for. If they're looking for an Asian guy or a white guy or Latin, but they do know they want somebody who's ambiguously ethnic. um, And it's, you know, it's laughable. Um, and I think it's great in terms of the diversity uh, issue, but I wonder is that um, the is that a good reason to have some diversity, or what is the intent with behind that?
0: Yeah, it's funny nomenclature. I I feel like I yeah we need to rebrand that. I think, but look maybe I mean we're probably becoming a society more not ethically ambiguous, but mixed, right? And right. hybridized. And that's the beauty of it. And I, I've even noticed like in a lot of TV shows now, especially Netflix or Amazon, you'll see many people that are more mixed race and it's not an issue anymore. And people don't have to match even online in terms of identity. And I love, I love that, or at least visually when you look at the screen. So it's changing. Things are definitely changing.
1: You have a son who is multi-ethnic how do you <laughs> describe or what do you teach him to say when he describes his background
0: yeah so he's half dutch half indian you know nice. so we yeah we talk about that a lot and and then of course there's nuances within the indian side but he's proud of it and there's lots of languages too in our household which is fun so i love that you No, know, yeah i'm telling him to own it and he goes to it yes. yeah a pretty diverse school as well so <laughs> Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk about your first shoot, modeling, you know, and what happened. Because what was very poignant for me in our first discussion, you know, you said that you wished you had a platform back then when you started out at a younger age like this. Um, And there are reasons for that. And, you know, in 2006, you were sexually assaulted on your first shoot. So... You know, I wanted to go back to that because it was the first time you showed up for something. You're young, probably excited, you know, looking forward. And then something happened where you're like, what is going on? So just walk us through, you know, what you're comfortable talking about, how this impacted you, how it affected you psychologically in the beginning phase of your career.
1: Sure. So just to give a little background to the listeners as well, I grew up in San Francisco and um The three days after I graduated from high school, I signed a contract with an agency in New York and moved uh, to New York City. I figured if I'm ever going to try acting and modeling, it's going to be now. Um, and let's see what I got and let's see what New York has for me. And so it's 2006. I'm 18. It's um, summertime, just the start of summer. And I don't have, you know, any usable photos um, that are quality enough for New York clients. I had been doing some modeling in high school, um, with a local agency in San Francisco, but, um, nothing to, you know, the professional level of, you know, New York city fashion. And so my agents had referred me to a photographer who had been, you know, renowned for men's fashion. And, um, it was a test shoot. So, um, a test shoot means a photo shoot that, um, you pay for in exchange for good photos that you can put in your modeling portfolio. And with your modeling portfolio, portfolio, you go to castings, you show the client, like, this is what I look like in sports clothes. This is what I look like in a suit. And it just shows you your versatility. It's like a resume for models. And so, um, I had to build my portfolio and this was a photographer that my agent had referred me to. So, um, I had met the photographer um, once uh, a meeting before our shoot. It was very quick. I noticed that um, he was you know, pretty hands-on and, and I guess, for lack of a better word, confident and aggressive in his demeanor. Um, and I had come back for our official shoot that I had paid him for. It was at his studio um, on Houston Street in New York. And I noticed that there weren't anybody there except for me and him, um, which I found a little odd. But, you know, I don't really have much to compare it to because I'm an 18 year old kid in New York and this is where my agent told me to go. So I'm going to do what I'm told. And, um, you know, long story short, we as we're getting through different looks and different changes, um, he figured that it would be easier for me to and quicker for me to just change right then and there instead of keep going back and forth from the bathroom. Um, and then it was just little nuances like that, like, oh, you know what? We're doing a shirtless uh, uh, look right now. So I think if you have some oil, your body's going to glisten, we'll really show off your muscles. And then I would, you know, take the oil and then I'd start putting on it myself and he was like no no i, I got it here just um relax and, and it was just stuff like that and as an 18 year old kid that you're like i i mean before i could even think about whether i was comfortable or not it was already happening
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um if you want to know more details about this it's written in an article uh by the advocate which is a news publication um it came out in 2018. Um, So yeah, from 2006 to 2018, I hadn't um, spoken about this experience publicly. Um, So that's a a large chunk of time. But I, long story short, I was pushed up against a wall. um, And I was being sexually assaulted in ways I had not ever thought would happen to me and that's the thing right it's like we go through life and we hear about these experiences and you know it's a shame it's terrible and we can you know feel that for those people but i mean if it hasn't happened to you then you really don't know what it feels like and and how possible it is when that article came out in 2018 i made the mistake of reading comments um, under (laughs) the article there was a digital Mm -hmm. version and you know, man, people are ruthless. Um, People were saying, what kind of a man can't defend himself in a situation like that? Um, I remember people saying, you know, Oh, like this guy's complaining about a shoot when he's getting paid for. Like, you know, people are so quick to judge without knowing all the facts. And again, I didn't pay. uh, He didn't. I wasn't paid for the shoot. I paid for the shoot. It wasn't a photographer I chose. It was one I was referred to by somebody that I trusted. And so, you know, it was all, um, you know, Things that led to this experience that were just really unfortunate. And um, I just didn't know what to do. So having this experience, it was um, it was it changed my life.
0: Yeah. And look what you're talking about. I mean, I just let's put some science into this for those comments for the negative um, aspect of what you describe. You know, what is the trauma response? People fight, they flee or they freeze. You are in a work environment. Presumably, trusted environment, like you said, you were probably in shock. And then you're probably thinking, like, in an instant, you know, well, what do I do? This is a photographer. This is my career. How do I respond? It's a complicated when it comes to the workplace. Workplace sexual violence is one of the most difficult forms of trauma because there is that hierarchy or there's the authority, right? Or there's the expectation of, like, if I don't comply, what does it mean for my career?
1: And what's funny is, like, you know, people say, you know, in those comments, what kind of a man can't defend himself? And for that same stupid stereotype of being a man, you know, like, I don't want to, I didn't share my story partly because I didn't want to be that a victim. Because what kind of a man is a victim? And it's just so, so terrible that these social norms um, (laughs) and double standards, you know, affect my, how I view myself and how I open up
0: to the world. Yeah. And look also, I mean, you went through a very difficult experience at the age of 18, you know, and we have compassion for that. I have compassion for that. A lot of people have compassion for that, you know, and I'm, I'm wondering outside of those comments, you know, you, you had to go forward from there, right. Mm -hmm. Carrying that secret and this horrible experience. So Do you, do you recall in the year after, like what that was like for you? Like, did you, for example, did you push it aside? Were you able to compartmentalize or was it coming back to you in some way, like haunting you?
1: I absolutely pushed it aside and suppressed it. Like I thought was good because at the end of the day, I'm. Move. I took a risk and moved to New York City. I want to make it work. I know that it's a competitive business. So I'm going to be professional, do my job, and leave. And if I don't, then I'm worried that somebody else is going to get the job. And so I didn't talk about it with anybody for years. Um, as I had mentioned earlier, I decided to go back to school. I went to Pepperdine University um, for a uh, four year undergrad, bachelor's. And um, after a year and a half, I just had these recurring dreams. Um, mm. and they were dreams that um, were directly related to, you know, having been sexually assaulted um, by that photographer. And I realized that I need help. Um, it was something where I'd wake up sweating and it was just it was the same dream. and I clearly, needed to work it out subconsciously and, um, and consciously. And so I figured, man, I don't know what to do. So I, I need help. And um, I, you know, went through my I had, I was through my health insurance, I was referred to a, a few different therapists, and I found one that I really clicked with and who he helped me get yeah. through it.
0: Yeah. And look, your story and the way it happened to you is often what I see, like, you know, you, you, people need to survive after a traumatic event or traumatic experiences. So you do what you have to do to get through it. For some people, they're not able to compartmentalize for others. They can, but the reality is that you carry it with you and it comes up eventually. It's the nightmares were the symptom, where your body and mind are telling you, you got to deal with this, whether you like it or not in looking at the way it evolved for you, what would you like to tell others, you know, who might have experienced this, who are keeping it quiet, just about the lessons you've learned from a mental health perspective of dealing with something traumatic like sexual violence.
1: What my therapist had me do um, was write, write how I felt, Um, write about the experience, Um, just express it, Um, because I had been suppressing it for years. And um, by going through that journey and being guided professionally, I felt that I was able to move forward instead of being stagnant and grow. Um, And just like we, you know, we're talking about in regards to physical fitness, mental fitness is real and it's important. And, you know, if you're trying to figure out You know, your identity racially, where you fit culturally, you know, being multi-ethnic or whether it's something, you know, different, like who? what kind of a person am I? Am I a survivor or am I a victim after a traumatic experience? It is it is so helpful to have somebody guide you in a professional way, somebody who knows, um, you know, how to help you through a process. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's really up to you as to whether you want to move forward and grow. You have to make that decision and say, I want to survive. I want to be happy. I want to move forward with my life. Um, but having somebody there to help you um you know, on your journey for mental health is, is, is imperative.
0: Yeah. And so moving forward may not be like pushing it behind you, right? It, it is moving forward, but confronting and then healing. Th- yeah. I, I yeah. don't
1: believe you can move forward unless you confront it because it, then it's always going to be in the back of your head. I mean, at least for me, it's, it's, it's something that you have to face. You have to understand it. You have to conceptualize it. You have to accept that it happened and then you can be free from it. And that's something I've learned, especially in the past few years is things are, life is not going to change for any of us. Things are going to be great and things are going to be terrible. We're going to have, you know, babies and relationships and, you know, huge wins and work. And then there's going to be deaths and breakups and And we're going to get fired. That's just, that's part of life. Um, But what can change is how we respond um, to those circumstances. And I'm learning uh, that, you know, I, I, I've always been a person that resonates on the positive side. I I like being happy, um, but being happy is a choice. And um, I think we all can relate to this past year and a half, two years of being in a pandemic. I mean, I know that many people have been challenged mentally um, during the pandemic. What What is my purpose in life? Is this really what I want to do in life? And, um, you know, it's it's a choice. It's a choice to want to work through these issues and, and, and connect with people um, so that we can grow.
0: You said that this experience really changed your life had a huge impact. And I know that you've been involved the last couple of years with the model Alliance. So tell us the silver linings or the positive things that have come from this.
1: In 2018, a another model male model came forward with his story about the same photographer that sexually assaulted me in 2006, that I had not told anyone except by that time, my parents, my therapists and my current agents. And Other than that, I was just, I wasn't shocked. I was more sad that this happened to somebody else. The Model Alliance had posted on their social media, if any other models have experienced a similar experience with this photographer, please contact this model as he is seeking support. I hadn't shared my story publicly, because I just didn't feel like it was necessary. I didn't want to be a victim. I didn't want to have a pity party. It just I didn't want it to define who I was, because I'm so much more than a victim. Um, And I just there's so much more to my life that I want to focus on. But I felt like if I can give some support through my trauma, why not be selfless and, and connect with this, this guy. So I I reached out and he, after sharing my story, he wanted me to join him in his uh, publication. This is through the Advocate, the article I was talking about that published in 2018. And I, you know, after discussing it with my parents and my my agents and getting their blessings and everybody's support, I was like, you know what, if I can share my trauma and my story Um, For the greater good so that the next 18 year old who walks in a photographer's door being referred by his agent and this starts happening, he's going to know what's right and wrong based off of my story and what I shared. So if I can help prevent even one person from experiencing what I experienced back in 2006, then it's worth it. And the Model Alliance gave me that platform. The Model Alliance is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are an advocacy nonprofit. So we fight for fairer and safer working conditions in the fashion industry. Everywhere from garment workers on the factory floor to runway models. And it's a really great organization. I've been officially on board for just over three years now, but... I've been a fan for a long time. Sarah Ziff is the CEO and um, she's just really been trailblazing and uh, really been an ally for survivors, for um, people who have dealt with financial hardships and financial abuse um, and just really trying to make the industry better. So, you know, silver lining in that is while I, I wish I never had this experience with that photographer I don't know if I would be as passionate um, and fulfilling this purpose through the model lines I don't know if I would be working to make the entertainment and fashion industries safer and fairer and better for everyone
0: out of adversity comes growth and you're describing this exactly so it's it's really nice to hear, and, and I, I agree with you about the Model Alliance. They're on my radar, and I've been watching what they do as well. You know, just in retrospect, what do you think, and, and let's we'll just focus on modeling for a second, what other protections do you think need to be in place just based on what you've experienced, you know, how the workplace has been? And I know things have, change, have been changing a lot, but what do you think could help?
1: Well, I really admire Screen Actors Guild, SAG, it is a union for actors to standardize working conditions, whether it be what time you're on set until what time you're wrapped, um, who's on set. Um, I, I shot a role on Ray Donovan on Showtime with Live Shriever, and it was a very, uh, sexually potent scene that i was in and so um having somebody like an intimacy coordinator um somebody directly um on set hired on set to just make sure things are going professionally in regards to that sex scene that um you know things are being worn properly that only certain people the people that are in the room to shoot are essential and you know people aren't hanging out with their phones you know and just make sure like things are going right and unfortunately fashion is still it's the wild west we don't have standards and we need them we need to make sure that Um, Kids aren't on set longer than they should be. We need to make sure that people are getting paid on time. And, um, you know, you don't know what you're going to get based on it being what kind of a modeling job. You know more of what you're going to get based on the specific client. But unfortunately, that is not what is that that can't be regulated. We need a system, a code of conduct in place to regulate the industry regulate standards on set so that people can agree and abide by, you know, things that everybody understands and is willing to um, engage in. And so we have a code of conduct called the respect program. And this program are our bylaws in which um, clients will sign on to, which enforces standards um, for safer and fair working conditions for everyone, not just for models, but for everyone. Creatives like makeup artists, hairstylists,
0: et cetera. Oh, that's great. And I'm gonna add one more thing to your list. I don't know what the RESPECT program covers, but access to healthcare, including mental health care. That's really important as well.
1: Yes, yes, I, 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 uh, I'm 100% on board with that. I love that.
0: All right, final question. If you had 50 million Instagram followers, what would you want to tell people about mental health?
1: You know, I I think uh, based on the discussions I've had with my own friends, it seems like having a therapist or, you know, psychologist or um, somebody who, you know, you can help help can guide you through your journey and growth mentally. um, I think there's still some sort of stigma on that. Um, I I don't understand why. I think, you know, people generally feel that you need to have some sort of traumatic event in your life, which warrants you to go um, seek therapy. But I don't, I, I disagree. Like we were talking about in the beginning of our discussion today, it's it's, it's just like physical fit- fitness. It's mental health. It's, every day is a choice to be happy. You choose to grow and to learn about yourself. Why, am I, why did I react to this person when they said this to me? Um, what, why did I feel this way? How can I communicate better? Because if we can find a way where we can work on our mental health daily, Not just when we feel crappy, but on a daily basis, I think we're going to be able to understand ourselves better. And when we can understand understand ourselves better and be more comfortable in our own skin, we can communicate better. And if we can communicate better, we're going to be such a better, happier, healthier community.
0: Kai Braden, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Sharma.
0: Now, let's get clinical. Kai Braden is a model and actor, scouted for modeling at the age of 18, who comes from a family of doctors and who values both physical and mental fitness. He describes being born as an empath and especially while acting, feels he can truly connect with others and is most proud of his work at Men's Health Magazine given his values. Kai is of mixed race and categorized to those in the entertainment industry as ethnically ambiguous, with the benefit of being able to represent a versatility of roles. What you may not know about Kai is that at the onset of his career, during his first test shoot with a photographer recommended by his agent, he was sexually assaulted at the age of 18. He pushed past this initially to fulfill his career goals, and he carried on. But soon enough, one and a half years later, it caught up with him and he sought out help. What stands out to me from a clinical perspective are two aspects of Kai's story. First, cultural identity versus perception, and second, sexual assault among men and boys. On the first, cultural identity versus perception, as you heard, Kai's mother is Chinese and his father is German, and he grew up in an American culture in San Francisco, where he was fluent in Spanish and felt his identity was mixed more than anything else. He wasn't Asian enough to hang out with the Asian crowd, and he wasn't white enough to hang out with the white crowd, and ultimately, he felt more connected to Latin and Black communities. Just like any young person, trying to figure out one's identity and where you fit in in the context of normal development is always a challenge. However, despite how he may be perceived, he learned to disconnect from this. And it's to his advantage now that he can play different characters and connect to multiple cultures as an artist, And that, quote, ethnically ambiguous, unquote, category that he falls into, can we please petition for a rebrand? I was thinking, how about ethnically integrated, ethnically blended? Just a thought. But back to culture and perception. For those of you listening, what culture do you identify the most with, especially if you're from a diversity of cultures? And do people perceive you differently from how you feel? Do people make assumptions based on what you look like? And what surprised you the most about all of it? For each of us, our cultural identity can be deeply, deeply personal and not obvious to the outside observer. We can't make any assumptions. And ultimately, we need more representation in the media and in the entertainment industry of all races, all cultures, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, so that people can simply relate. On the second, what about sexual assault among men and boys? First, to drive home the point, sexual assault can happen to anyone no matter the gender. I just read an article which pointed to an alarming statistic that one in six boys are sexually abused before their 18th birthday. That may be surprising to some of you, but because of traditional stereotypes and social norms around masculinity, men and boys may have a more difficult time disclosing, discussing, and coming to terms with sexual violence. They may delay seeking help due to shame or self blame for what happened. You hear in Kai's story that after he was sexually assaulted, he pushed forward within his career. But a year and a half later, he started to have intrusive nightmares. The trauma he experienced was catching up with him. For him, this was a turning point. He found a therapist, and through talking, writing, and working through what happened, he's come to terms with it. And he bravely opened up with his story in 2018 when you heard about another model being assaulted by the same photographer. Now works with the Model Alliance to ensure better protections in the industry. So, if you've experienced trauma in your life, my advice is to get help from a mental health professional to process it, to work through it, to make it conscious, and to get it out of your body. The longer you carry it around with you, unprocessed, the more it will weigh you down and the heavier it becomes. And it does manifest. And I promise you that you are not alone. And I think Kai will agree with me on this point. So back to Kai. As he said, his experience does not define him, but it has had an impact on his life in a meaningful direction to help others. I can't say enough. I am honored to have spoken with Kai and to hear his perspective on growing up with a hybrid cultural identity his career aspirations, and how he overcame his earlier traumatic experience and the value he places on both mental and physical fitness. Many people struggle with identity versus how they're perceived, healing from sexual assault, and many men and boys may not seek out help due to social norms and stereotypes, but we want you to understand that you are not alone, that there is power and connection in speaking up and in asking for and receiving help. I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, Thank you for listening to Model Mentality. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on Model Mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.